Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called Will 2024 Crash Australia's Housing Market? Who would have predicted that Australian property prices would have rebounded so strongly in 2023 amidst the fastest interest rate rises in history and the fixed interest rate mortgage cliff? With the government running record levels of immigration and the economy potentially cooling, what does 2024 have in store for Australian property? Join us today to find out. Just a quick reminder, this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal financial situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, you can book a call with me or one of the advice team at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact. Today, I'd like to welcome Leith Van Onselen, Nucleus Wealth's Chief Economist. Leith, welcome. G'day, Sam. G'day, everyone. Thanks for having me on again. Pleasure to have you back. It uh, feels like it's been a while, but it's uh, good to uh, chat about property again. So, um, yeah, it's great to have you here. Cheers, mate. Everyone loves that talk about property. Indeed. Favorite favorite topic. Um, my name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Head of Advice at Nucleus Wealth. Just a reminder, the themes discussed in this podcast are a reflection of our thinking and our active portfolios, and you can find out more in the description notes below. This show is recorded live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. So jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. The podcast is available on all other major podcast platforms, so feel free to listen there if you prefer. We are still offering a no-obligation super review, uh, so if you'd like a health check on your super, uh, we'll give you clarity on the fees you're paying and benchmark that against the average. Uh, we'll also have a look at your asset allocation as that's the most important thing that will determine how much money you end up with. And we'll also make sure you're aware of and taking advantage of any of the tax saving opportunities and make sure you understand the rules of the game. So you can book in a call at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact. So those are the formalities out of the way. So Leith, over to you to get the discussion started. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Look, um, you know, 2023 is about to draw to a close. It's been an extraordinary year in Australian property. Now, if you were to ask me at the start of the year what would happen to Australian house prices, I'd tell you that they would have kept falling. And the reason for that's pretty simple. Obviously, um, you know, we entered uh, 2023 with the Reserve Bank having hiked rates by about 2.6% by memory and uh two and a half percent and basically they were still tightening and they continued to tighten uh throughout the you know first first half of of the year pretty much and yet and then obviously they they did the the last rate hike uh early november melbourne cup day and despite that we had this strange uh property rebound uh, property prices actually rose by 10 percent uh, from their bottom at the end of january and Pretty much, almost nobody in the market except um, you know Stephen Kukulis. I'll give him you know a, a hat tip on that one. Tip that we'd actually get a rebounding property market in the face of an additional you know one point two five or one and a half percent. I think it is uh, you know rate hikes this year. But that's what we got, and effectively you know so property prices rebounded by about ten percent across the five major capital cities, according to CoreLogic. Um, that was that was driven by strong twelve percent rebound in Sydney, 
uh, just over 12% in Brisbane and uh, and Perth's led the way with uh, 14% rebound. So we've had this sort of, you know, universal price rebound um, driven by those major markets. Um, but what we've seen since the, since the uh, Reserve Bank hiked rates in Melbourne Cup Day last month, early last month, we've seen a marked slowing in momentum in the housing market. So basically the two major kit. Two major capital cities, Melbourne and Sydney, are now prices are now falling, according to CoreLogic. If you look at the twenty-eight day moving average, and that's uh, that's shown clear, clearly in the in the chart on the right. If you bring that up, Sam, and um, what that's effectively doing is it's now dragging down obviously the national price growth because Sydney and Melbourne are the largest, two largest markets, and uh, it's been quite a you know significant loss of momentum and Brisbane's also beginning to fall and um, we're not fall the prices aren't falling but the rate of growth has slowed materially since the reserve bank hiked rates and it's really only uh, you know Adelaide and Perth that are still sort of holding on and what this basically tells us is that obviously the first 12 or so rate hikes you know, didn't seem to have much impact. Well, they did initially, but, you know, so far this year, the uh, prices rebounded. But this last one seems to have finally knocked the stuffing out of the housing market. And it's pretty easy to understand um, why that would be the case. Um, They're 4.25% of rate hikes has effectively lowered borrowing capacity by almost a third. So, you know, before the RBA hiked rates, you could effectively borrow nearly a third more than what you can borrow now. Um which obviously reduces people's capacity to pay, and that should have an impact on house prices. And it did initially, but then uh, obviously we had this had this rebound. And we're also seeing um, there's also uh, if you scan through the next set of charts, uh, Sam, uh, auction clearance rates have also fallen quite heavily. Uh, so in May they peaked at um, at about seventy two percent across the combined capital cities, and now they're fallen you know into the sixties, into the low sixties. And that's again been driven by Sydney and Melbourne, and we've also seen a um, you know a fairly big pickup in uh, for sale listings across Sydney and Melbourne um, over the past you know in, in the past few months. So effectively, that just shows you that demand is softening, and also people are starting to put their homes in the market. Uh, whether that's through distress selling, who, who knows? Um, but basically, that this tells you that again the housing market has softened as we head into twenty twenty four. Which, which, you know, the the million dollar question is what's going to happen from here. Um, it's just worth also pointing out that Australian households are under severe pressure. So there's a, there's a set of three charts there, which uh, which come from CBA. And what it shows is that this accumulated 4.25 percent of rate hikes has hit Australian households harder than just about every other country. And the reason, uh, in terms of you know mortgage rates. And the reason for that's uh, pretty obvious. Australian households have got... Uh, in Australia, we use predominantly variable rate mortgages, whereas most other countries around the world are predominantly fixed rate. And what that means is that even though Australia, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia has hiked rates less than some of these other countries, like the RBNZ, which has hiked it by uh, 5.25%, it's actually hit us harder. And and that's that's because we've got a high share of variable rate mortgages. So whenever there is, whenever our central bank hikes rates, it hits Australian households harder than it hits other places because they're mostly on, on fixed rates. Um, and these this cumulative four point two five percent of rate hikes by the RBA has actually set um, sent interest rate well 
household debt repayments, so that's both principal and interest, to its highest ever share of household disposable income. And at the same time, our tax bills have gone up immensely. So um, the, the most recent national accounts data for the, for the September quarter, which was released a few weeks back, showed that Australians are now paying an equal high, record high share of their incomes as income taxes. So it's basically the equal highest in history. And the previous time we paid this much, I think it was back in like the 1970s. And we're paying nearly 18% of our incomes on average in personal income taxes. And that's up from about 14% over the pandemic. So households are basically getting hit by rising mortgage rates as well as um, you know high income tax payments. So then you've also got obviously the rental market where, where households get hit by rents, but that doesn't obviously impact um, house prices as much. So we've got these this building pressure. It's been building for nearly two years or 18 months. Um, the housing market defied gravity this year. And it looks like going into the next year, it's finally that, that weight of interest rate hikes and these tax pressures and everything else. is starting to uh, send this sort of house price rebound we had into reverse. And that's showing up mostly in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, yeah. So, Leith, uh, you know, with with the price rebound, you know, that's the only thing that sort of seemed like a mystery to me. Uh, you know, all these other factors of interest rates uh, having increased and a more share of disposable income being spent on property, you know, that that seems like the sort of logical cause and effect. But, you know, with house prices sort of softening a little bit, is that significant? Like, are they, do you, you know, is there a significant sort of, fall in prices as such at the moment or is it is it sort of you know just hovering around the sort of all-time high still yeah so so nationally prices are still rising they're just rising at a much slower rate um, okay but the two biggest markets and it's basically if you just look at the trends that's the thing that's um that's the most important if you look at the 28 day uh change chart that was up there earlier from core logic um it shows that basically you know, prices are decelerating very quickly across the cap major capitals. And Sydney and Melbourne are now starting to go into reverse. And all it sort of basically tells you is that in a month or so, if you follow those trends, um, house prices nationally are probably likely to uh, going to start fall, uh, falling. And that's driven by Sydney and Melbourne. So basically Sydney and Melbourne are, you know, are, are the main drivers, obviously, the two biggest cities. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and they tend to drive the overall you know, housing market and those two markets are now going into reverse and that's been reflected in both prices and option option market which is you know uh pretty sick in both markets now uh, okay so what's what's happening in the auction markets just let lower clearance rates is yeah yeah so so supply is now starting to pick up so so we've um you know auction volumes now are actually pretty high and and, and last weekend oh sorry not last weekend we haven't got those results yet but the previous weekend before that was the weakest final clearance rate they've had all year and they've actually been trending down since may so okay. um, that that chart uh the option clearance chart versus price price growth i've put that in the slide pack yes and uh it, it shows that there's that there's a very strong correlation between um option clearance rates and and house price growth okay. uh put them side by side there and they're you know very very close correlation and um effectively option clearance rates have tanked in the last sort of you know five six months and and that's been met with this weaker price growth but it's also tends to be you know fairly decent sort of leading indicator so 
I think as we go into early 20, uh, 2024, we're probably going to get start getting the, 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 the monthly indexes are going to start reporting, you know, uh, house price falls for Australia. Um, probably not big ones, like just, you know, small house price falls. Yes. I guess the purpose of this discussion today is it going to be a crash or is it just going to be a minor correction? My, my personal view is going to be a minor correction. Yeah. Um, you know, pr- pr- it'll be more in Sydney and Melbourne, but, you know, in terms of nationally, uh, pretty minor, minor correction. Yeah, and I guess the last interest rate rise, that's sort of, you know, the culmination of what the RBA has actually been trying to do. They've been sort of trying to cool, cool the economy, cool the housing market, and maybe it's finally... Uh, Know, coming into effect, yeah, and and look, you know, th- this is um, this would, this would be welcomed by the RBA. Right? The RBA a few months ago was said that uh, this is before they did the last rate hike in October. They said that they were concerned that we had this, you know, house prices were rising, and 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 that that was a sign that that monetary policy wasn't restrictive enough. Well, now they're they're, they're starting to well, at least in Sydney, Melbourne, they're falling, but nationally. Uh, price growth is grinding to a halt and all the other indicators like option clearance rates are now starting to fall which would probably give the RBA comfort and you know if anything it's um, it's just all of these marginal indicators which suggest that the RBA is probably going to be on hold now and you know my views are probably cut late next year but you know we don't know what's going to happen uh, but I, I, you know I don't think the RBA is going to hike again um, mm. seems pretty unlikely because you got this Obviously, the housing market's starting to roll. Not that that's a big indicator, but that's just one of them. Um, you know, you've got the economy, economic growth's incredibly weak. You've got unemployment rising now. Um, you know, we're in a per capita recession. Household consumption is tanked. Um, so, you know, pretty much all, all the indicators are that, that that the economy is very, very soft at the moment. I can't see the RBA hiking into that. And also, obviously, inflationary pressures are coming off globally. Uh, goods inflation's falling everywhere. we have got deflation there. Um, you've got a little bit of sticky services inflation, but pretty much inflation's coming off just about everywhere now, including Australia, but just we're, we're a little bit slower. And um, I don't, I can't see the RBA hiking again into that. And, and, that, that, and that should uh, prevent the, the housing market from having a steeper correction if they don't hike again. Um, and and what, are they, what's, what are they really trying to do? Like, I, I feel there's so many vested interests uh, and you know, including the people uh, that run the RBA, you know, I don't think they really want property prices to come off a lot, but uh, have, have they done enough to to sort of, you know, stagnate things or maybe a, a small decline and then that's going to have sort of on-flow effects for the rest of the economy? Do you, you think that's the case? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think they'll be happy with the situation. The, the you know, the housing market um, is not rising strongly anymore. If anything, it's, you know, it's about to start probably posting falls. I think, I think this this month's core logic data that comes out at the end of the month is going to be very weak, and same with the other indicators like PropTrack, etc. Uh, so yeah, it it, it it might post a um, still with ten days left, but it might post a very very like basically a flat result this month, and um, the momentum's clearly out of the market, so they'd be happy with that. I think this is pretty much what they want, um, but I mean. The Reserve Bank doesn't focus on property prices as key indicator. It's just one of many, but all the other indicators are pointing to you know pretty much softness now across the economy, and um, that's kind of what it wants. So um, yeah, another reason why I think uh, you know interest rates probably peaked, and that should support, well you know 
uh, should stop the property prices from falling more sharply. So if the Reserve Bank was to follow up with another rate hike in February and then maybe March, which I think is incredibly unlikely. But if they did, I think we'd be in for a pretty steep, potentially, property correction. Um, you know, a, a much sharp one, then uh, they're, they're more likely to get. Um, so I think it's just going to be, you know, pretty mild city of Melbourne driven. Uh, the, the other markets remain, you know, decent, uh, probably still going up slightly or just uh, posting very, very modest growth. Um, you know, of, of course, the, the other big swing factor in all this and the reason why the property market rebounded in the first place is because it got this record immigration. So Yeah, it's, uh, like the immigration, that's no secret. But I, I sort of feel it takes time for that to flow through for these new immigrants to actually purchase property. Uh, there's obviously been a huge spike in rental prices but like, how do you uh, how do you sort of directly correlate or correlate that sort of increased immigration with house price growth? Like, well, yeah, as you said, I mean, look, there is some direct demand when they, uh, yeah, if you get wealthy ones, they can come over here and buy straight away. But um, so we get some of that with say Chinese students, etc., who've um, you know we might get that some of them purchasing, but that's pretty small a margin. But again, yeah, you know, like you said, it is the rental market, so. It sounds sort of weird. It's like, well, how does rental prices affect um, house prices? Well, we've got effectively the lowest rental vacancy rate in decades, if not history, depending on which which um, you know which indicator you use. And what it's basically done is it's you know rental prices have been soaring, so you got rents going up about double digit pace across Australia. You've got rental properties incredibly hard to get because the vacancy rates at about one percent. In the capital cities and what that's basically done is this greater FOMO so fear of missing out so people are basically like they don't want to rent because it's incredibly it's expensive prices are rising quickly it's hard to get a property they're worried they, they'll get kicked out after a year etc and what that basically does is it creates this um people then stretch themselves harder to buy a property and there's and it's definitely um you know that that's definitely played it played a factor it's created this fear of missing out and um you know, it's, it, it then drives people into the housing market in terms of there's been purchases. We've also seen a pretty big rebound in investor demand this year. Um, so there's been a lot of reports about investors leaving the market. Well, some of them had, but there's been more than replaced by, you know, booming investor mortgage commitments. Uh, so we've got investors uh, citing the fact, like one of the reasons is because the rental market's going up so strongly. Um, so investors have been coming back into the market as well and that's helping to push up prices so the the immigration thing is definitely a massive part of it and you know Stephen Kikoulis was the one who said last year when rates were rising he said no no we've got this mass immigration and that's going to support house prices and you know stop them from falling and at the time I was like nah look interest rates will far outweigh that well he ended up being right and it's exactly what we've gotten we've got this weird 10 percent rebounding property prices despite the fact that interest rates went up another you know one point uh, one and a half percent basically this year which is completely counterintuitive all that meant is that borrowing capacity actually fell but you know we've got such limited supply both in construction and homes available for sale and rent that when you add you know five hundred eighteen thousand people through migration uh, and to the housing market in a single year, which is what we did, it's basically supported prices and rents. And we, it's not just 
the five hundred eighteen thousand people that have come in from overseas. We've also we've also had a maturing of the uh, early two thousand baby bonus kids. So Sam, you, you wouldn't have been in Australia back then, but basically in the early two thousands, the former treasurer Peter Costello did this baby bonus. So what he did was he basically paid households to have have kids. So he got money if he had an extra kid. Yeah, I'm aware. And what they did was it actually spiked birth for several years in the early two thousands. And what that means is now those those kids in the early two thousands are now hitting twenty, you know, around twenty years old, and they're now not just entering the um, rental market, but some of them are also becoming home buyers if they've also got, you know, bank of mum and dad who can help them. So we've got both, you know, demographic demand uh, locally as well as obviously record immigration, which has helped, you know, drive up this housing demand both for rental and for purchasing, and that's another reason why prices have risen despite the fact we've had this aggressive rate hikes by the RBA. Yeah, and uh, one thing you said before that was interesting uh, was, you know, the investors have got back into the market, like which sort of almost seems counterintuitive when interest rates are rising because it's more, more or it's less affordable for an investor to, you know, carry that property uh, through the interest rate, uh, you know, through the mortgage expense. But the uh, another thing uh, is... You know the property boom during uh, COVID. You know house prices just went you know, went nuts, and uh, you know I think a lot of investors would have suddenly got a lot more equity, and then can leverage against that as well. Um, you know to purchase something new, and also with rents going up, um, it suddenly seems more attractive. And you know this record immigration, um, the fundamentals are good. They're yeah. good for the long term. They are, and and the um, you know the the, the federal government uh, immigration will definitely come down next year. So there's no way you can have half a million for a second year in a row, especially because I mean there were some short term factors that, that helped drive this. I mean someone's been deliberate by the government policy, but some of it's also just been um, obviously we had huge exodus of temporary migrants over the pandemic, mostly international students, and then as we open back up, a lot of them come back in, and we have we've had a big fall in departures. So usually. You know, before the pandemic, you get a whole bunch of um, the temporary, the, the pool of temporary migrants was going up. But every year you'd have an inflow of, say, students. I'm just using that as an example. And you'd have an outflow. And then the net would be higher overall, but you'd have, you know, a large number of inflow and a large but slightly smaller number of outflow. Because we got the outflow of the pandemic, we're now we're currently, well, this year we've just had inflow. We haven't had outflow. So that's basically biased the numbers upwards. And next year, we should start getting outflow again, which will offset some of the inflows. So it sounds a bit confusing, but the um, you know it's one of the reasons why the federal government projects that net overseas migration is going to fall from 518,000 um, last financial year, so 2022, 2023, to 375,000 in 2023, 2024, which is still a huge number. Like that'd, be the, that'd be That's the second biggest number in history we've had. Um, it's just not obviously as big as what we've just had. And um, so, you know, immigration is going to remain strong, but it's not going to be quite as strong. So it'll add, obviously, upward pressure to housing, et cetera, but it's not going to be quite as strong upward pressure. That being said, housing construction is probably going to fall, fall again. So um, I've created a chart uh, on one on on um, on slides uh, of dwelling completions versus population change. So what that tracks is you've basically seen this massive imbalance between uh, construction 
you know, supply through construction and demand through population growth. So we added nearly 630,000 people in the 2022-2023 financial year. But we only built, um, you know, less than 170,000 homes over that time. So it was a big imbalance. And in fact, the forward-looking indicators for the housing market are really poor. So the, um, you know, we only improved we, uh, in, in the uh, year to uh, October, we only approved 164,000 homes for construction, which is even lower than what we built last financial year. And the problem with that is we actually need to build more than that number. So just because we've approved 164,000 um, doesn't mean we'll build 164,000. And also you actually need to build more than that to actually increase the population by that number. And the reason for that is you lose about 6% of every house. Uh, you know, so if you build 100,000 homes a year, only you lose about 8,000 homes um, to demolition because a lot of these approvals are actually you demolish a house and you build two or you demolish a house and you build another house to replace it or you demolish a house and you build you know four apartments or whatever. So it doesn't, it's not a one-for-one one increase in the housing stock when you do that because you lose some. So to keep up this population growth, we actually need to build, you know, more than what we're, way more than what we've approved. And there's just no likelihood that, we, that we're going to do it. And what that means is that if anything, the housing market's going to tighten even more next year. So even though immigration is going to come down to 375, now according to the government, which means that we'll have probably about four, seven, you know, nearly 500 population growth once you add um, natural increase, we're not going to be building anywhere near that. And what that suggests is that, you know, the rental market's going to remain really tight. We're going to have rents continue to grow far in excess of incomes, uh, which just adds more of this sort of demand dynamic to the housing market. And despite the fact that, you know, prices will really fall early next year, um, yeah, unless the RBA goes really aggressive in rate hikes, which I don't think they will, I think they've done, um, it'll help support house prices and it will stop prices from falling much. Uh, that's, yeah. That's my it- view. It just, it seems like madness to me. Uh, the running this level of immigration, if we just can't even build houses fast enough and there's a rental crisis going on. Uh, so, I mean, you know, on that point, like what's what's driving this? Why why is it just the, the catch up from the, the loss of people uh, of immigration over COVID or is it big business driving this or is it, just vested interests because I mean most people don't want this the common common people don't seem to want this you know so what, what's driving it and I mean it wasn't oh. mentioned in, in the election at all and well, actually they the the, the, the Albanese uh, opposition at the time not the government uh, in January last year January 2022 suggested they were going to they were going to lower immigration so they, 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 they were going to maintain a lower immigration policy going forward they you know, said made several public announcements on that, and then instead, once the election happened, they then um, you know did the the phony jobs and skills summit in uh, September last year. You know, loaded it full of um, you know pro immigration lobby groups. So I didn't have anyone uh, like I certainly wasn't invited because I might have you know I didn't have people like me <laughs> who, 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 who you know who were telling telling it how it is. Yeah, basically. So, so what they did was then they got this fake consensus on to ramp it up to its highest ever level. They raised the permanent migrant intake to its highest ever level. Um, they obviously, you know, 
they extended all these post-study work rights for student visas and all this other stuff to basically deliberately, and, and, and they ran this on this faulty narrative of a 1 million visa backlog, which is this contrived, made-up number. Um, and they used that to then rubber stamp as many visas as possible. They've been, you know. So, it, yeah, a lot of it is deliberate. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the net overseas migration, as I said before, has been flattered by the fact that we don't have as many people departing because they already departed over the pandemic. So that has obviously flattered the numbers, but this is a deliberate policy. And it's not just Australia, it's Canada's doing the same thing. Canada's just literally had 1.2 million net overseas migration um, in the year of September, which is just off the charts. Like they've never had anything like this. And they've got the same housing problems as us. You've got rents going through the roof. Massive rise in homelessness. There's now homeless encampments uh, through all their cities now in parks and all that sort of stuff. Um, New Zealand's doing the same thing now. Like they've they've just had record immigration. The UK's just had what, you know, uh, high immigration. So it's it's pretty much happening all over the place. And and all these governments are running the same sort of policies, which is kind of silly, especially in you know Canada and Australia, where we've got these unbelievably, um, you know tight housing markets and it's creating a lot of distress and obviously dra- driving up rental prices it's also helping to drive up inflation because rents are a big component of inflation um and all this other stuff and it's creating other problems because in australia now we're trying to you know i, I live in victoria and victoria is now doing this big build project where they where they're basically trying to build all this infrastructure and a lot of it's very poorly designed you know that uh it's it's very poorly um you know designed in, uh projects which are subject to massive massive cost blowouts and their the whole excuse for it is our oh, melbourne's going to be nine million people mid-century so i need to build all this stuff and it's only going to be nine million people mid-century not because melbourneians want it but because the federal government's decided we're going to run this massive immigration policy so yeah look, look the whole thing's sort of tail away in the dog economics and it's designed for interests of big business universities etc that sell you know to more more to more courses to foreign students etc etc and it's just creating all these problems. And, you know, I'm not anti-immigration, but I just think we should basically run at a much more lower sustainable level like we did pretty much pre-2005 before they decided to ramp it up. It's just pretty logical stuff. Like, don't, don't, um, you know, don't run an immigration program that's beyond the nation's ability to supply homes and build infrastructure. And also, you know, uh, corresponds with your water supplies and your natural environment. Pretty simple stuff. But our governments don't do that. They just run it as hard as they can and then they worry about the... Well, they don't actually worry about the consequences, but they, they just let the consequences rip. And that's effectively what we're doing. It's stupid. But here we are. And it's the reason why uh, it's the reason why the property market's going to be supported. Yeah. And to me, it seems, you know, what you've just said is common sense. Uh, and uh, I've, heard, I've heard you talk before about... You know, it's this sort of desire for growth and this desire for productivity, but productivity is not coming through the economy. So we're just, you know, more people equals, you know, higher GDP and, you know, this sort of fake productivity, um, the economy growing. So, you know, I think that's a that's a major factor as well. Yeah, it is. And and look, it all gets down to I'll tell you tell you one of the main problems Australia's got. It's we've got this, um, you know, more than more so than most countries. We've got a vertical fiscal imbalance. So what that basically means is the federal government collects, uh, because of the way our tax and expenditure system set up, the federal government collects 80% of the tax revenue in the country. And the states and local governments collect about 20. And 
the problem with that is, and and then there's the similar disconnect between spending and tax revenue. So the federal government collects most of the tax. The states are actually responsible for most of the service delivery, infrastructure, et cetera. So they incur most of the spending. So what that means is the the federal treasury uh, love huge immigration because it basically means they get more tax receipts. So they get more company tax, more personal income taxes, et cetera. And that props up the federal budget. Problem is the costs of doing that fall mostly on the state budget. Mm. Uh, who've got to provide the infrastructure, the, primary, the schools, the secondary schools, the primary schools, the hospitals, all that sort of stuff. That Most of that cost falls on the state government. So you've got this um, you know, busted incentive system where the feds collect most of the gains from running high population growth policy, whereas the costs are born on everywhere else. And, and the way the states have tried to get around is they try to sell everything. So privatise everything. And all that's ended up doing is it's pushed up costs for... Uh, so basically gone to cash converters flog their assets, got a bit of money in the door to then build infrastructure or do all these public-private partnerships to then build infrastructure for all these people coming in, which is the decision of the federal government. And all it's meant is that, um, it, it is that um, you know, they've sold off everything and then the cost to users, so people that live in these cities, like you and me, it ends up going up and it's probably worst in places like Sydney where 20 years ago you could basically drive across Sydney and there's only yeah. two, about, about two toll roads now you can't drive anywhere there's about 20 toll roads in Sydney and basically anywhere you go now you've got to pay Transurban a huge amount of money to go anywhere and you can't travel and even despite paying all that money it takes you longer than it did 20 years ago because there's so many more people so it's kind of you know it's a, it, it's a stupid policy but um, it's the way it is and big business loves it the Australian Treasury loves it the university love it. Um, you know, if you're Harvey Norman, uh, you're Harry Triggerboff, who's a massive apartment developer, developer, you love the migration because it just means you grow your customer base every year and it's an easy way to make money. So it's it's one, one of the reasons why governments do it is because their donors love it. Um, but the ordinary Australian doesn't love it. Yeah, I mean, the vested interests, uh, they're the ones benefiting and at the expense of, of many others. And it seems like from the, it's such such short-sighted thinking from the state governments by selling off all the assets. And uh, you would think as the people, uh, federal government and state government should be talking to each other, working together for common interests, for, for the common interests of the people. But it seems like, through this system, they're at odds, and uh, the people are sort of the ones that are that are worse off out of the whole equation, uh, which is unfortunate. Not really, in my eyes, how government should run and operate. No, and and it's funny you say that because you know, I've been following this topic for a decade, and pretty much every opinion poll in the last decade has basically said that you know roughly two thirds of Australians don't like, don't want. The population to be growing so quickly and no one immigration levels to be so high because they've been high pretty much since around 2005 when they were magically more than doubled um without any real consultation just the federal government side of this is great for the budget let's just ramp it up and you can see it in those charts uh the population explosion we had after 2005 um when the, when the federal government decided to ramp immigration through the roof and pretty much every opinion poll since then has been negative um you know, we've had two two this month that are really negative on it. Um, 
you know, just, just add them to the pile because we've had dozens of them. And yet the federal government doesn't care. Nobody cares. They just, they just ignore us because that's what their donors want. So it is, Sam, but I mean, I guess, you know, in terms of the housing market, it's it's kind of a long-term bullish signal for the housing market. It means that we're going to have forever more and more demand. Um, you know, the population is projected to grow by 14 million people over the next 40 years in Australia, and that's basically Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide in 40 years. Uh, Sydney and Melbourne will be about 9 million apiece, if not 10 million. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, that just means we're going to have more and more people fighting over fighting to get housing and it's one of the reasons why you know houses will continue to get smaller or well, they won't be houses they'll be apartments will continue to shrink in size and become more expensive and um you know why landholders can potentially make out like bandits because it's going to become more scarce and you have more people fighting over it so um you know it's another reason for next year at least not to expect a big house price bust um a, because, I, you know, as I said before, I don't think the Reserve Bank is going to hike rates again. Could be wrong, of course. You know, things can change. But B, because we're going to have this structural massive housing shortage uh, because population growth is going to remain really high, like not as high as the year we just had, but still, you know, the second biggest year in Australia's history rather than the biggest. And at the same time as, um, you know, housing construction is just absolutely in the gutter. I mean, we've got high interest rates. We've got materials prices have risen about 40% over the pandemic, which has made it more expensive to build homes. We've had thousands of home builders have gone gone under. Mm. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, that, that would suggest there's less builders available to build homes. Um, and all those factors mean that we're not going to build as many homes at the same time as we've got more people needing homes. So all it means is just, you know, dire straits for the rental market. Uh, it's going to, going to remain absolutely stuffed. Um, more people living in group housing and more people becoming homeless. And obviously, uh, you know, it should put a floor in the house prices. So for, for those reasons, I think, um, you know, I think we're going to have the first few months of 2024 are going to be going to probably post some house price falls, but I don't think it's going to be much. And then if the Reserve Bank does end up, end up cutting rates, which, you know, CBA and other economists seem to think it's probably pretty likely in the second half of next year. Well, who knows? We could be off to the races again. Um, you know, it's too early to call that, but, um, you know, the sort of writing's on the wall, I think. Just this yeah. structural housing shortages, and, you know. There's there's just so many factors, like you say, with all, all the, you know, those headwinds in the construction industry for, for housing. And even if there were enough, you know, home builders and, uh, you know, all these all these builders hadn't gone bust. It just takes years. It takes years and years and years to build hundreds of thousands of homes. And uh, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about huge numbers of people coming to the country that need housing. And you can't just solve that uh, that problem in the click of the fingers, or you know, one year or even two or three years. It's it's going to take a long time. And with that, with the backdrop of everything you've mentioned. You know, the fundamentals for house price uh, growth is still strong. Um, and, you know, like you say, there might be a, a small dip, but unlikely to be anything anything meaningful. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, look, it's, um, you know, it's it's not great. I, I, I say this pretty, uh, quite often. I've got two uh, two kids now, teenagers, and um, I sort of look at them and go, geez, it's a pretty bad equation for them. And, 
And just on the on, on the housing construction thing you said it takes years, it's it's interesting because around my area, I go for walks, runs, I, I run a lot. So, um, you know, I go for runs around my area and there, there are literally houses that have been under construction for well over a year. And, you know, one of them, it's probably been 18 months now. And, it, you know, it, 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 uh, it's initial builder went bankrupt and then they got, it's just started construction again. So obviously got a new builder, but this is pretty common. Uh, we've had this. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we're just catching up for lost immigration over the pandemic. It's not too bad, you know, because basically population is caught up to what it, what its pre-COVID trend was now. Um, so we, you know, lost migrants at the start of the pandemic and, and then now we've got them all back. But the problem with it is the supply side of the economy has also got smashed. So we didn't build a whole bunch of homes over the pandemic or, you know, we're still trying to finish the ones we started years ago. And over this whole idea of catch up, we haven't ca- caught up on housing supply. We won't. So the whole idea that we need to catch up on population is ridiculous because it's just going to, it's just creating this structural housing shortage. And it's one of the reasons why rents fell at the start of the pandemic and now they're rocketing because migration went negative at the start. And then now obviously it's gone to, to levels we've never seen before. And that's obviously pushed rents up. And as long as that sort of equation stays, rent, the rental market's going to remain, you know, rents are going to uh, grow at a rate that's higher than incomes and the rental market's going to remain, the vacancy rate's going to remain really tight. And the only thing stopping the vacancy rate coming down even more is the fact that we've now got people moving into group housing. Um, so, you know, at the start of the pandemic when it was all the work from home stuff, the number of people per house uh, actually fell um, because you had people not want to live in group houses as much. You didn't have as much demand for migration, so there was more homes available. So a lot of people just moved into um moved into, you know, out of group housing, but now that's totally reversed. And now they're shifting back into group housing in a big way uh, because it's become so expensive and there's so little homes available now they've had to share accommodation. And that, that process is going to continue as um, as the housing market remains tight, just going to get more and more people forced to live in group housing. And but for those who are unlucky enough, more people forced on the street. So it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, that's what happens. Yeah, we're just going to jump to a quick sales message. We'll be back in a minute. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Just one more quick thing. We just want to ask you for a simple favor. We want to spread the message about transparency, innovation, and integrity in investing. At Nucleus Wealth, we live and breathe these values. We would love it if you can help us spread that message, and subscribing to our channel will help us do that. We would be most grateful if you can hit the like and subscribe button now. Okay, so uh, Leith, we've had a few questions coming through and uh, plenty of fans of uh, of your commentary and uh, not only here, but on macro business as well. Uh, so we've got got a couple of questions here. 
Uh, one, like a comment from Gil uh, saying, we need to build higher like Singapore and Israel, big apartments with parks and not low blocks of apartments with no parks. Like what are, what are your thoughts on that around sort of, you know, apartment living? Uh, look, I, I, I totally disagree with you, Gil. I'm sorry, mate. That's uh, that is a recipe for uh, much lower living standards. Uh, I'm not against apartment living per se, but to put everyone in the high rise slums, no thanks. It's not the it's not the Australia I grew up in, mate. To, to be quite frank, um, you know, Australia was always a place growing up where you basically could enjoy a good quality of housing life, and uh, you didn't have to live in high rise shoeboxes. And I'd rather us not become like that. To be quite frank. Uh, and if we are going to do it, it should be low-rise apartments. I'm sorry, not 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 this high-rise trash. And and if you actually look at the quality of the high-rise that has been built, so we did have a high-rise boom between 2015 and 2020, uh, 2019. It was an absolute disaster. The the the, the build quality was disgraceful. Um, you know, we had uh, obviously not just the flammable cladding issue. We've had balcony defects. We've had structural defects. We've had entire apartment blocks, mascot opal towers, a whole bunch of other ones. They had to be evacuated because the building construction was so poor. And I'll tell you this, mate. I met with uh, three builders uh, two weeks ago at a Christmas party. Uh, my boxing gym, they're all three separate builders. Um, I just, they don't really know what I do for a living. I was asking about, you know, the housing target and the quality of construction and what they thought about high-rise. And all three of them said, I would not touch a high-rise apartment built in the last 10 years with a 12-foot barge pole because the quality is that poor. So do we really want that? I mean, do we really want to be building? So the whole thing is, if we keep maintaining this mass immigration policy, we're going to, obviously, it's going to go to the path of least resistance, which will be these high-rise apartments, because it's the easiest way to build stuff quickly, build a whole lot of crap, cheap stuff quickly. And that's exactly what we did second half of last decade, and look at the results. So why do you want to repeat that over and over again? The, the better solution is, is not to create the problem in the first place. Don't fire hose so many people into the country and then we can build more slowly and with higher quality um, because doing the same thing over and over again to me is the definition of insanity and why do we want to give up Australia's great quality of life which we've enjoyed which generations have enjoyed mostly detached house living which I'm a big fan of to be quite frank um, but townhouses and lots of stuff's fine as well that's good just to live in a high-rise shoebox if you want that go to Asia that's my view Okay, thank you for that, Leith. Um, hope that uh, answers your question, Gil. Uh, we've got another question from James here. Uh, he's saying, thanks, Leith. Uh, and he's asking, or well, he says, it hardly seems possible, but do you think longer-term Aussie house prices will continue up? And asking, double again over the next 10 years. I mean, I don't know if you got your crystal ball, but, uh, I mean, my sort of take on it is, there, it seems like there should be some sort of limit to house oh, prices because of 100%. affordability. And, you know, a third of people do have mortgages. A third of people uh, have no mortgage and I believe about a third rent. So, you know, what what are your thoughts? Can it just keep going to the moon? No. I mean, look, look. I, I think I think prices can still rise in real terms. So, I mean, they can still rise um, above, above even incomes. Uh, just how you certainly going to be uh, more people are going to be missing out and we become more of a, you know, haves and haves not society, which we already have anyway. Well, let's face it, the inequality, egalitarianism, this sort of gets back to my former point with to Gill, was a central tenet of Australia and also New Zealand. 
um, you know, they were egalitarian nations where, you know, pretty much anyone can own a home, et cetera. And that's gone out the window, let's face it. And I think that process is going to get worse. We're going to have a bigger gap between the haves and the haves nots and prices will rise faster than incomes. But that being said, double over 10 years, I just don't think it's possible. It's not, you know, especially it could have maybe happened if interest rates turned negative. So, um, you know, when they, when they went down to 0.25% the cash rate, there was the potential that we follow some other countries and you can actually go in the negative where effectively the central bank pays banks to give people mortgages. Um, that would be the only way I think it could, you know, I know it, sounds, it sounds seems like a crazy world, right? <laughs> well, I, I look, mate, it was, uh, yeah, you know, it's a crazy world. It is. And, um, but you know, some countries have done that. So, um, you know, I think the only way you get a doublet in 10 years, if you had that sort of monetary situation, which is just, given where we're at now is seems incredibly unlikely and uh i don't think you know median house price in uh in in sydney for example is you know get up to 1.5 million or something for a house i'm talking not apartment um the notion that that could go to 10 million even in uh in in a decade or you know australian median to go from i think it's I'm taking a guess here, probably about 800 to 1.6 million in 10 years. I think it's very unlikely. But that said, I don't think uh, income growth is going to be very strong in the next decade. Right now, because of inflation, it's okay. But, um, uh, you know, I can see still see property prices rising and beating incomes, uh, income growth, but don't think it's going to be anywhere near doubling in 10 years. That, that's my personal view. But hey, you never know. I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, if, if I was to look back 10 years ago, I would have thought we'd be where we're at now. So you just don't know. There's, you know, it depends on policy, depends on, you know, like, I mean, we, in 10 years, it could look back and go, geez, we did end up doing that with um, negative interest rates and that sort of stuff. You just don't know. But, you know, it doesn't seem very likely. Put it that way. Seems incredibly unlikely. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Excellent. So we've got another question uh, from James John. Uh, he sounds a big fan of your commentary on immigration and impact on housing. And uh, he's wondering uh, what you think about how lower birth rates in Western countries impact this equation. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we do have lower birth rates, obviously. And and, and again, it's kind of a bit of a chicken and egg uh, situation we've got. Part of the reason I'd argue We've got lower birth rates is because the cost of housing is so expensive. It's become expensive to have kids. Um, also, the whole thing about everyone goes to university now. Not everyone. I'm obviously exaggerating, but you know that there, there has been a massive push into young people going to university. So you know we're at about 44 percent, I think, of uh, school leavers now go to uni. The federal government, in their infinite idiotic wisdom, wants to get that up to 55 percent. God knows why. Um, and so people delay. Uh, you know, entering the workforce um, and everything's delayed. So you have kids delayed. Uh, the cost of having kids is hard. It's more expensive now. Obviously, the cost of shelter is more expensive, whether you rent or buy. Uh, and all this stuff impacts the birth rate. And, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, and I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's happened all around the world as well. So in Australia, there's this whole notion of, you know, you can't have a stable population because that, that, that that's not good. So you need to import a whole bunch of people to keep it growing like a science experiment. So that's kind of where we're at. And Canada's doing the same thing. New Zealand's doing the same thing. And it, it seems to be Anglo disease, to be quite frank. 
Uh, it, you know, this sort of stuff doesn't happen in the Norwegian, in the sorry, Scandinavian countries, which actually sort of run uh, economies for their people, <laughs> unlike us, which run it for corporations. Excellent. Okay, well said. Uh, and we've just got a comment from Alex saying, uh, all the people who claim property prices will double each 10 years don't understand compound growth. Yeah. So. Yeah, look, you know, it, it's all right to look at that uh, when we had sort of house prices of three times income and then obviously Reserve Bank and, you know, we had 30 years of basically structurally lower interest rates. Um, that That can happen. But we've got the opposite now. We've got obviously house prices at you know seven or so times incomes nationally, and we're basically you know we've had rates rising, not falling. Um, you know, so that thirty years structurally lower interest rates is reversed, and um, so under that situation, it seems very very unrealistic to think that we could get a doubling in ten years. Um, but again, you know, you never, you never know. It, it, it just because it's incredibly unlikely doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. Uh, if, if, if the right, you know, if they're bringing a hundred year mortgages, um, you know, having, having, you just don't know. I mean, you know, uh, it could be something absolutely ridiculous. A hundred year mortgages, they start doing this, um, you know, shared equity stuff everywhere. That becomes a norm where, you know, the lender and the government takes a, you know, takes a big chunk of your equity. So that lowers your monthly cost, um, negative interest rates, uh, all this sort of stuff is possible, unlikely, but possible. And that's the only way I think you'd sort of get that kind of doubling in 10 years. Nice one. Thanks for that. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing, but want a low cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Okay, and, and now we have our question of the week. So this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. The question for this week is, where do you think property prices will be at the end of 2024? Uh, so feel free to have some discussion, uh, engage with us and some of the other viewers. Uh, I can see McDiddy has put a comment through already saying uh, house prices will drop as a severe recession is about to begin, especially uh, with, with the dopey clown that's supposed to be running the country. So there we go. We've, we've got our first first comment already. Um, so, yeah, Leith, I mean, uh, back to you for uh, a bit of a wrap up um, and some final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. We'll probably get some uh, weakness in this uh, early 2024, maybe maybe all of 2024. We'll get some, you know, some price falls. Um, you know, and, and there's another factor I didn't mention just quickly. Uh, obviously, I think we're going to have a decent rise in unemployment next year. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the unemployment rate's, you know, getting towards 5% by the end of the year. Uh, part, partly that's because we've obviously got a weak, uh, weak demand for 
uh, for our workers because the economy is weakening, the weakening demand for workers. But also we've got this, obviously the, the labor supply is growing very quickly through immigration. So you add those two things together, lower demand, um, increased supply means rise of employment. So that's, that, that could have a, you know, material impact, but, um, you know, basically I think, uh, you know, we're going to get a, a mild property correction, uh, nothing too much just because of all those factors I said before. And then, you know, if the RBA cuts rates, starts cutting rates again, which I think if you did get that, uh, you know, sharply rising unemployment, et cetera, the RBA would cut rates. And then we could be back to the races uh, late 2024, but, you know, it's too early to say. But I think mild property correction and then um, RBA cuts rates and then probably another bounce of the madness. Uh, but, you know, we'll, uh, we'll reassess next year. Excellent. Nice one, Leith. Thank you very much. There's lots lots more comments flowing through, so it's obviously a hot topic. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, and we look forward to uh, hearing your commentary uh, in the future as things unfold. And, um, yeah, you never know. Ten years, we'll see what happens. Mate, I, I, you know, I just hope I'm still here. Thanks, Seb. <laughs> thanks, Leith. We'll see you next time. Uh, so we do welcome your feedback on the podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at Also, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do share it with them as well. So for myself, Leith, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.